This recording is a production of Faith Builders. This presentation was recorded at Teachers Week 2013, held at Faith Builders on August 6 through 9. Do you think God has a sense of humor? I grew up on a dairy farm and I had a lot of interest in dairy farming. But after I became a Christian, I also got thinking about what God wants me to do and to be. So, in September, Lord willing, I'll be starting year number 41. First four years were in the public system in Ontario. Next four were in a small Christian school. And the last 32 have been at Fairhaven Christian School in Ontario. One thing I've learned, now this isn't in the 40, is that my voice is unpredictable. And sometimes I get a scratch in my throat or a tickle, and that might be the way it goes this afternoon. So maybe I'll be calling on you to continue on in the, uh, in the 40. But I may need to suck on a cough drop and jostle it around my tongue and so on. So bear with me. 40 years I've learned in 40 years of teaching. Number one, learn from your mistakes. That all possible, learn from your mistakes. For example, it may have been my first year of teaching. I had a third grade student called Evelyn. She was very shy, and she did not want to speak in public. And I got her up to the front one day, and I determined she is going to speak to the class. She is going to say something. She stood up there, and she said nothing. And she got redder and redder. And to this day, I still feel so guilty about the way I treated her. Another mistake that I have tried to learn from is to listen to both sides of the story. You know, when a child comes and tells you what happened on the playground, it sounds so convincing, so likely. But uh, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. So listen to both sides of the story. Don't jump to conclusions from a one-sided report. Years ago, um, didn't happen in our family, although there are some times when I did jump to conclusions, but this particular case, uh, a girl came and complained to mom about her brother who had thrown a ball at her, and it hit her, I think in the head, and it hurt, and uh, mother was ready to meet out suitable discipline for an offense like that, but she had the presence of mind to ask him, get his side of the story, and he said, I threw the ball, and it hit a rock, and it bounced off the rock, and I hit my sister. Now that's an altogether different scenario than what she had been first presented with. So, learn from your mistakes. Number two, aim to have the character of Christ. Aim to have the character of Christ and also follow the example in his teaching. He is the master teacher. I prayed that I might demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit to my students. One of these is self-control. And when I was younger, I had a problem with anger. Still do to some extent. But um, I learned that anger does not get far in terms of pointing to Christ. 
terms of his teaching methods. I've looked at different examples of Christ's teaching. I have been very much impressed with the motivation. And the teacher is maybe not basically a motivator, but that's a larger, large part of his work, her work. Jesus spoke to the deepest needs of men's hearts and their uh, greatest yearnings. He was very practical. He was concise. The longest sermon that's recorded is, what, 15 minutes in length to read? Some teachers have the knack of expressing a minimum of thought in a maximum of words. Not so Christ. And he was intensely interesting. Not everybody agreed with him, but he never bored anyone in his audience, I don't think. All the people were very attentive to hear him. And he did offer rewards, the reward of the Father, the reward of heaven. He used interesting facts like uh, Solomon sitting at a sewing machine, as it were, or the lilies sitting at a sewing machine. Uh, consider the lilies of the field more beautiful than Solomon in all his glory, that sort of thing. He used humor. And, uh, you know, I have a picture of an optometrist coming to check out my eyes, and he's got this two-by-four sticking out of his noggin, and he's going to get the speck out of my eye. A lot of these things, they, they've, lose, they've lost their impact because they're familiar. He certainly used a lot of stories. He used enigmas and puzzles. Um, you know who was a daddy that became a mummy in the Bible? What commandment do baseball players seem to break? Things like this, children get thinking and puzzling over. He did some unusual things like bending down and writing on the ground. I admit to doing some weird things of various sorts that I won't try to exhibit at the present time. And we could talk about his various uh, types of teaching, his use of the familiar to explain the unfamiliar and so on, apperception. So the second one was to aim to have the character of Christ and follow his example of teaching. Thirdly, develop confidence in students incrementally. So gradually, over a period of time, try to encourage and develop confidence and ability incrementally. Think of a girl who after maybe three or four years outside of school came back to me and she said, you know, when I entered your class I felt like a piece of junk. Uh, she didn't have a lot of abilities. Um, I can't say that I was particularly looking forward to her entering my classroom because of uh, some difficulties she had provided for teachers in the past. But she said, I felt like a piece of junk. You've changed my life. And uh, it was just another student as far as I was concerned. But over a period of time, uh, she had gained confidence and felt better about herself and others. I, she said, you remember that one time, which I didn't, but you remember that time that you called me up to the desk to return a examination? 
And you said, stick out your hand. I want to shake it. Congratulations on, a, on an excellent test. It happens, but for teachers, we don't realize the impact of some very minor day-to-day -day things. Fourth, it's impossible to force students to sing nicely. I'm thinking of sixth and seventh and eighth grade boys. I should have learned this from my own experience back in when I was in grade eight, when Miss Snyder, our music teacher, said, Howard, I thought I could sing bass. You should be singing soprano. You should be singing up high. And she grabbed me by the hair, and you can see what happens. So. <laughs> but I had this idea that uh, I, could, I could make these, these boys sing. They were going to have to like singing. And likewise, uh, I ran into a, a bit of a drought as far as uh, a number of years ago, as far as students answering questions, volunteering answers. This was particularly noticeable on Wednesday mornings in joint devotions when there'd be a visiting speaker and they'd sit there and like bumps on a log and wouldn't raise their hand. So uh, to try for, uh, to punish um, doesn't work very well, I found out. It's much better to reward. And so in that case, I kept track of every student. You know, it's the older ones that the younger ones look up to and so I didn't want it to have a ripple down effect. So uh, they were rewarded with, I don't know, extra recess or whatever it was, uh, if they spoke up and gave an answer in joint devotions. And uh, the fifth point is the effect of the big boys, shall we call them, of older students on the younger. And uh, I'll carry this forward about the singing. I had heard of s teachers who had 7th and 8th grade boys who liked to sing, and that seemed incredible to me. And I wished I'd have something like that. This is some of my first years of teaching where I am now. But in grade 8, I had five boys one year, and they were athletic boys. They were reasonably good academically, but they could hit a ball and they could shoot the puck. And they were looked up to by the younger ones. And these five guys decided they would like to sing as a quintet, four parts. And so I thought I could uh, assist with that. And my wife is more of a singer than I am. And she would uh, come to school and we'd sing together. And over the space of about a year, uh, about every other week, we would make our way uh, 20 miles to school in the evening. And the parents of these boys would bring the boys in, and we'd sing for an hour and a half. And they got to like it. And uh, they thought they could make a, a tape, if you know what that is, a recording. <laughs> and they did. And it, it was reasonably good. It was, I was pleased with it, and they were pleased with it. But the thing was that it had a ripple-down effect on the younger students. And although that was 25 years ago, I have reaped the benefits of those five boys for the last two decades plus because uh, the students generally like to sing and uh, it 
It's been a blessing. So if you can nurture those students who are the models, who are the ones who are the heroes of the younger boys, it can make a big difference. That's something that I learned. Sixth, parents make a big difference. I've had supportive parents that have made teaching a joy at this last school for 32 years. However, uh, one parent can make things very stressful for a teacher. I can think of only two, really. So I've been extremely blessed. One was in the public system. Uh, I was uh, in charge of a softball team. And this is about grade four to six level. And one parent didn't think I was letting his boy, who was not over the athletic, but was a tremendous size, um, play as much as the others. And I, I, I don't remember if, if uh, maybe I, he didn't play as much as the others. But anyway, uh, I remember uh, he took me to task for that. And uh, then at, a more recent, at my most recent school, there was a set of parents who believed that the child was, their children are always right. And even though I try to make it a practice of communicating with the parents before the child gets home with a negative story, yeah, I can't always do that. And even if I do, it didn't always make a difference because the child was always right. And uh, ran into a bit of a new concept with that particular father who said that if a child does not respond positively to correction, that proves that the child, that the teacher did not do it in love. So it makes, makes sort of good sense from a parent's point of view. But uh, if you look at the example of Jesus, I think he certainly corrected in love, and yet people did not necessarily respond well to him. In fact, they crucified him. I've never been crucified <laughs> figuratively either. Now, when you get criticism, it might be a good idea for you to keep track of those things that are positive in the communication from parents. And somebody advised me years ago to start a file of notes of appreciation and, you know, the, the usual sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I like to get them, um, you know, thanks for being a great teacher and uh, I've learned a lot from you. And, you know, that sort of thing. I don't bother filing. Uh, well, I file, but file circular 13. The circular file, anyway, file 13. Uh, after I read them and appreciate them. But some I keep. Uh, this would be a note from a parent. Just a note to thank you for the investment you've made into my son's life these past years. We deeply appreciate many things about your teaching. We've been impressed by the way you incorporate spiritual guidance into your everyday teaching. He has often shared the things you tell them, especially so this last year when he was awakening spiritually. He really seemed moved by during, during the time of the Easter program practicing and commented on the meaningful songs and on your patience, even humor, during what must have been a stressful time for a teacher. Although my son is not the scholarly type, understatement of the day, <laughs> and doesn't enjoy books and studying, he told me recently he will miss your humor he liked relating some of that to us at home. 
He would shake his head and say, he doesn't know how you think of everything. We're thankful for that. It keeps school life interesting as possible with boys who'd rather not study. I don't understand my sons in that. May God bless you as you continue to labor for him. You and Barb have done so much for our school and community. Uh, you will always be special to us. So, I just pulled a couple from the file. And uh, you can read those then when you're facing a lot of criticism and uh, you're feeling down. Parents can make a big difference. Number seven, love your students. Amy Carmichael, I think it was, said, love to live, live to love. Love your students. Kindness can go a long way. I remember first year of teaching at my present school. First grader fell in the mud. I evidently picked him up and no, I didn't dust him off. I somehow cleaned him up anyhow. Um, loaned him a pair of my pants. No, not really. <laughs> but anyway, uh, maybe I was at a parent-teacher conference a month or so later. Uh, the dad and mom mentioned this to me, how he appreciated my kindness, and I, I think I may have remembered that it had happened, but anyway, I, I was glad that he liked it and uh, that the parents liked it. It was also very nice that it was uh, the bishop and his wife of the school, so uh, thanks. <laughs> Eight, be flexible and able to adapt. So I think my mind goes to various students of limited ability or of, uh, for some reason or other, were not able to speed along in their work, those who weren't very academic. It's good to adjust expectations for them. Let them do what they can, challenge them, but don't expect the impossible. Be flexible. I've um, tried to do this. Uh, one thing I learned, uh, there are alternatives to spankings to uh, corporal punishment. Our school does have a policy that we may use corporal punishment. But one thing that I found works fairly well with most students is some exercise called walking. And so if I have an eighth grader who's uh, being a pain in the classroom, I may say, um, noticed you've had some difficulty obeying. So I think we're going to give you some exercise. So we have a large playground, several acres. So I would have the student, they have to walk in a certain manner and they walk down to one corner of the playground, they walk to the other next part of the quadrilateral and the third and the back and they keep on doing that. All recess, we have 15 minute recesses morning and afternoon, we have an hour to down our lunch and play together. Call it phys ed, I guess. Uh, so we have significant time for play. And uh, although when I came to the school, the boys tended to hang together and lean up against the school wall and they really didn't get involved in games too much. I didn't like that. Of course, I like sports and games and so um, instead of them standing around and 
sharing the stories that eighth grade boys tend to share. We got them involved in, in playing games. And uh, so they generally like sports very much for exercise, and for enjoyment, for, anyhow, this is quite a, a punishment not to be able to play with the rest. And so they may walk around all day and if they haven't changed, seen a change in attitude, they'll do it the same, same thing the next day and, and the third day. And eventually they break. And it's good exercise for them, too. So they can behave in the classroom, presumably, then after that. Be flexible. I remember uh, one, uh, we've had a number of Down syndrome children in school. One um, was making difficulty for the teacher. Wouldn't obey, wouldn't do what she was told. One of the other teachers said, she needs a spanking. I uh, thought I'll talk with her. And I tried to learn a, a few things. I've learned many things from my wife, but she worked in a nursing home for a while. And she worked with uh, people who have dementia or limited understanding. And uh, she taught me to distract the child if possible or the person. And so uh, I thought, okay, I'll enter into a little conversation with this girl. And she was supposed to be doing some something manual, making some, well, not knitting, but some craft project. And she refused to do it. So I got her to show me uh, how she does it. And uh, uh, I complimented her. And anyway, she got distracted from her disobedience, from her stubbornness. And she ended up doing what she was supposed to be doing. So, be flexible. Number nine, focus more on the essentials than the peripherals. Focus on the essentials. Now, bulletin boards are a great idea. But uh, there can be uh, too much time, I think, spent if it is at the expense of preparation, of thinking creatively how to motivate children. Remember one year I had uh, got this idea to uh, put a brick on the wall made out of paper for every book that a child wrote. And so when we got to a thousand books or whatever it was that had been read during the year, then they got some, I don't know, a party or some special time on the playground. I think that was probably just as good or better than a bulletin board that says, books are nice, read them lots or something, whatever bulletin boards like that say. <laughs> I have to be careful what I say because my daughter has a workshop here about bulletin boards. <laughs> I'd rather spend time preparing an effective lesson than grading every assignment that a student does. Focus more on the essentials. Number 10, it's amazing what students can achieve if they're motivated. If we can motivate them. Now, I heard one time of a school in Pennsylvania where they, a student learned, I think it was 600 Bible verses one year. And my students weren't doing anything like that. I don't think I'd ever contemplated quite that many. So I thought, okay, maybe we can... Uh, you know, we're from Canada, maybe we could learn 300 at least rather than 600. 
because we don't learn as fast. That's why we have to go to the end of June in our school year. <laughs> Maybe it's the teachers, probably the teachers rather than the students. Anyhow, uh, I said if they learned 300 Bible verses, said them twice, a month apart. I don't have time to listen to all of them, but I get parents involved in that, former students and things like that. It takes hours and hours of listening to Bible memory. But anyway, uh, the first year I tried this, uh, there were the bulk of the class that got to 300, and uh, some learned more than that. And so I had to devise some additional rewards, so if they got 500 or 600. Um, I've done this uh, now uh, for pretty well every student that enters my class. Uh, I teach usually grades 7 to 10, so a four-year cycle works pretty well. So prizes were, they didn't know what it was, an airplane ride around their farm or a um, train ride, subway, ferry, boat rides, climb up CN Tower, messing around in Toronto anyway, in a unique way. Um, going to the capital city of Canada, which most of you don't know, but uh, I'll let you find out. Maybe you do. Um, anyhow, uh, I remember two boys, no, a boy and a girl, same family. They uh, wanted to learn lots of Bible memory. They would set their alarm. They had to go out and do the chores at 6.30, I think, so they'd set the alarm an hour early so they could study their memory work and both of them got up to a thousand verses and uh, that was uh, the record for quite a long time till just uh, three years ago I think it was I didn't know what these three girls were up to but they were I knew they were saying a lot of verses they'd say them by the chapter and uh, one of them said 1,200 verses. They weren't telling each other what they were doing either. They knew they were all learning verses. Another one learned 1,201. 12, uh, <laughs> and uh, a third one, not a genius, but a good student, she learned 1,500. I don't know if that'll happen again or not, but she, she knew them. It's amazing what students can achieve if they're motivated. It's also amazing how hard these chairs can be, so uh, uh, I'm in a moment going to have you stand up, and I'm going to have you tell one of your neighbors one thing that you've learned or heard this afternoon. So stand up. Start talking. Thank you very much. You may be seated. It's amazing also how a bunch of teachers can sound like a chicken stable. <laughs> Sounds good, actually. I like chickens, especially eating. Number 11, co-teachers can be uplifting or a drag. Just about all of mine, I'd 
say all of mine, not all the time perhaps, have been uplifting. And it is great to be part of a team. I have taught with me being the only teacher and uh, had a reasonably good relationship with me, myself, and I, but I do prefer <laughs> to work with others. Number 12, a teacher's success can be measured more by how he assists the poor students or those with the lowest self-esteem than by pushing the capable ones. A teacher's success can be measured more by how he assists those needy students. You know, the capable ones, if you provide a bit of challenge and motivation, they're going to learn. It's those who struggle. Maybe struggle academically, maybe struggle with life. Often they struggle socially. My heart goes out to those. So, it's nice when your students, your graduates, excel, but it's even better when we don't let the poor students fall through the cracks. Thirteen, the content that we teach is not as important as motivation and work habits. The content we teach is not as important as motivation and work habits, in my opinion had a fairly capable student at school. We just go to grade 10, he went, finished his high school, at a local high school, went on to university, became an optometrist. And he told me, you know, it wasn't what you, wasn't what you taught me, it wasn't what you taught us, but it was the work ethic and uh, the motivation to learn. That was more important. Fourteen, you can pick up valuable ideas from other teachers, such as those at Teachers Week. For example, probably six, eight years ago, I was here, Steve Brubaker told about when he was a, well, I, I don't even remember the details of it. I probably got it all mixed up, but if I don't know, then I make up what I think might be the case. Anyway, as I recall it, um, he, uh, in school, I think he was a student, uh, had some project from a book in the Bible. I think he chose one of the minor prophets where there's, is there one where there's an ephah or a big basket and there's a lid on it and, and uh, anyway, something about him uh, taking this a Bible account and building a project with it and jumping out and scaring people. I don't think that was real accurate, that description, but something like that. It was enough to get me thinking, okay, so what could our school do? If we would take a book in the Bible to every student from grades 5 to 10, for example, uh, would choose a book in the Bible and then make a display something about that particular book and uh, annually we invite the parents in and the community to see exhibits that the children have made and they talk about them. It might be science day or geography day or health day or history day or this was a Bible day. 
So the idea came from here. I developed it a little further, explained it to the children. So there was a big long table with the book of Genesis with uh, uh, a model ark and uh, Jacob's pottage that the visitors were invited to taste. And uh, Joseph was there in the pit. There were the sacks of grain. There was a bunch of other things from the book of Genesis. The person who did that is sitting here in this audience today. Uh, another student uh, chose the book of Leviticus. Or says, anyway, the high priest. She went to the Sally Ann and got this big doll. And then she started sewing. I think she got some help from a seamstress. And anyway, she uh, uh, put this, uh, this doll and made him into Aaron with the miter and the tassels and the bells and the pomegranates and the breaststone and the urim and the thummim. And, and it, was, it was very nice. I would have brought it along and had him stand up here with me, but uh, I wasn't sure what the border official would say about him. So <laughs> he did not have a passport. Then there was Amos, uh, that girl uh, dressed up like a prophet, however prophets look. And uh, she had different things about the five vision, the rotten fruit and the fire and, and uh, prophet on the altar or angel on the altar, whatever that was. Anyway, there was also, because uh, Amos was a shepherd, she had a lamb there that jumped out of the box when she lifted it for the visitors to uh, see the, the lamb. Uh, in Kings, um, boy spent hours and hours and hours and hours building the tabernacle. I think he made noise, but it was to scale one to sixty, and uh, it was very nice. And uh, it was a it was a good thing, and it um, made the students think. It was creative, but the idea came from other teachers. Fifteen, there's value in being outside at recess. Now, I don't enjoy running games as much as I used to. This back and forth thing called prisoner's base doesn't turn my crank like it used to. But uh, I do very much enjoy hockey and football and softball and basketball, things like that. I like to play with the students. It, it, it's good for as far as supervision is concerned. Um, the first years that I taught in the public system there, we had one teacher assigned to 300 students sort of thing. And there I didn't play with them. It was just, you know, settling the quarrels. And, but I like to play with students. It's good for, the, it's good for you. Uh, somebody told me early in my career that you never really understand a student until you've seen them on the playground. And maybe the teacher, the students don't fully understand the teacher till you see him or her on the playground. I remember, uh, forget there was some uh, issue with the students in the senior class where I teach. Um, anyway, meeting with the parents and trying to figure out what we're gonna do cooperatively. And um, I remember one comment uh, about playground activities. I think it was maybe that I was squeezing the amount of time that they had for 
playing. I mean, I, it all came out in the wash, but um, they had their same amount of time for playing, but they didn't think they did. Anyway, comment of a parent was, my name is Brother Bean at school. Brother Bean likes to win. I said, ouch. That was true. That's okay to like to win, but I think the students were sensing that uh, I was altering things a little bit. Or I think part of it, what happened was that I would often go on the weak team, and then I'd try extra hard, and uh, maybe give my team the benefit of the doubt sometimes because they were behind. Anyway, I tried to correct that sort of uh, impression. Um, if you're going to play, uh, if you're a man, you're out in the playground playing, I've learned it's good to have a second pair of pants at school. Um, remember one time playing football, I was, I think I jumped backwards up into the air to catch the football, and it was sort of muddy, and I did not land on my feet. And uh, I think there's still a depression there where I landed. <laughs> Soil compaction, anyhow, not a depression. Number 16, don't use ridicule or sarcasm if you want a good relationship with your students. Don't use ridicule, sarcasm, or belittling speech. Does not build rapport, and rapport is so important. It may make you feel superior and smart, but it doesn't build respect or relationship. So I caution against ridicule and sarcasm. Or anything that puts the students down. Number 17, admit your mistakes. And they may be funny, so you may as well laugh at them. I read years ago about a teacher that when he made a mistake verbally, may have been on the chalkboard. The students would uh, point out the mistake. He'd say, I did that just to see if anybody would catch on. They knew different. They knew differently. Be humble and admit your mistakes is point number 17. Uh, someone said, pride, that's the switch that turns God's power off in your life. Pride is the switch that turns God's power off in your life. So I've needed to confess sometimes. I got upset. Or I misinterpreted. I jumped to conclusions. I'm sorry. Number 18. Take advice from parents. I remember one irritating seventh grader. He was always chattering when he wasn't supposed to be chattering, and he would be bugging the girls and, you know, the usual thing that seventh grade boys do. And I'd have him with a detention, and he'd write out lines, and we'd have little chats and, you know, the usual sort of concoction of remedies. And his dad took me aside one day, and he said, you know, I think what would fix his problem is if you'd give him the strap. I thought, okay. I did. That was the end of the problem. That was his, the father understood his son better than what I did. He became a fellow teacher of mine. 
and I never had to use the strap again on him. <laughs> 19. Treat students fairly. Now, I think I picked this up here a few years ago. Fair does not always mean equal. Equal does not always mean fair. So this year, in the past few years, I've had a young man in my class, uh, spina bifida, in a wheelchair. And so everybody understands that I can't expect the same thing from him physically as I do from the other students. But there are also those who uh, are limited in their academic ability. And so it's all right to uh, reduce the workload for some students, I think. And uh, certainly if you know that students are under emotional stress, I remember receiving a call from a parent who told me that he was out in the barn with a skid steer, skid steer sort of thing. He didn't see a, his little girl. He backed over her and killed her. And I had siblings in my class. You can't expect to treat those children the same as everybody else when they've had sorrow in their families. 20. Pray with and for your students. I would say especially on matters of discipline. Over the years I've taken more time to decide what disciplinary action to take. It allows me to cool off if I'm stirred up emotionally. It allows me to think and to pray, make sure that I'm in control of my spirit. Pray with your students, pray for your students. Someone said, prepare like it is all up to you, pray like it is all up to God. So there's both angles, prepare like it's all up to you, pray like it's all up to God. And remember, the task before you is never greater than the power behind you, therefore pray. Well that's 20. Time for you to stand up again, talk to your neighbor, what's something you learned, way to go. No looking at your books. No, you can if you want. Thank you very much. Number 21, have variety. Have variety. Somebody said, be predictably unpredictable. So, John Troyer, are you here? Would you stand up? Come on up here, please.
you have a ride to Columbus yet? No. Well, this, I, I have a ride a couple hours from home, but I don't have a ride home yet. Okay. So this is the man that you can give a ride to. Thank you very much. I don't think he was predicting that when he walked in here today. There's value and variation of posture. So I've had you stand. I haven't had you sing because I don't know if my voice would do it. Um, wake up students on Monday morning. Um, a few years ago I started doing things, especially Monday morning. Uh, whatever pops into my head. Good morning to you and how do you do? Good morning to you and how do you, you know, whatever a little song or I wish you a very, 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 very good morning, boys and girls. And then they have to repeat it back to me. <laughs> a marvelous, wonderful, fine, excellent, copacetic day to you, boys and girls. And then they have to. So that usually wakes them up and makes them smile a bit. 22. Praise is powerful. Now, that's on the receiving end for you as a teacher to receive it from the school board chairman, parents, fellow teachers, students. Praise is powerful in receiving it and giving it. And I don't know that I've always done this with every student, but I try to at least once in their time in my classroom, I'll write a, a personal letter to them, commending them. Sometimes it's after I I see something that, you know, I, I maybe hear a student entering my class and they've made trouble and uh, so as soon as I see anything good on the first day or the second day, I'll pounce on that, write them a note, commend them for it, you know, pour on the praise and hope that it continues on. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but uh, writing letters I recommend to your students um, occasionally. Twenty-three. What a joy to see lives changed with conversion. Of course, I teach older students at the present time. I've taught from kindergarten to some grade 11 subjects. But uh, usually it's been in the years of accountability. What a joy to see lives changed with conversion. I remember my wife saying on occasion, she's a different person. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. 24. Use the blackboard a lot. <clears throat> if you've been in my classroom, uh, you know that I often send students to the blackboard. I teach in a multi-grade setting. I have since the first few years in my teaching. And so I find it useful to have, I also have room for uh, 12 students easily to stand at the blackboard. Side blackboard, front blackboard. One of the things I asked when our school was built some 25 years ago, and uh, so I can, for example, uh, be teaching one math class, asking questions, having them work at the blackboard, and at the same time be wandering around the classroom and um, stooping down and uh, answering little questions that they may have uh, along the way. So I find that a, a good use of time uh, to have uh, somebody at the blackboard in a multi-class setting. 25, be a time manager. Got about 15 minutes here yet, so I will try to be a time manager. A tremendous amount of time can be consumed chit-chatting after school. Maybe you don't know anything about that. 
and there is value. I'm not saying you shouldn't have times of conversation, but uh, I think it can be overdone if other things get neglected. <coughs> or if it keeps you from getting home from school until 9 o'clock at night. I think you should get your rest. So uh, another thing about time management is if you're a perfectionist, accept less than perfect. So much time is spent just getting things right. And do get your rest. Be a good steward of your body. I think the first few years that I was teaching, my students sometimes suffered Monday morning because of a late date the night before. So uh, I don't know if I ever confessed that to them, but I do to you now. 26, develop a relationship of trust with the board. I've worked with this board now, for, I mean, a board for 32 years at this school, and I don't like to put them on the spot. I don't want to ask for things that they're going to be reluctant to grant. Um, I know some teachers have said, well, just ask the board, see what they say. They can't do more than say, no, no way. I'm not inclined to take that route. I'd rather have a sense of what is likely to be acceptable. After I taught 20 years at my present school, school board came to the conclusion that this guy's getting stale. We'd better send him away for a while and let him get freshened up. And so they paid my way to Europe and Israel for about two weeks, one, one uh, spring. So. Uh, um, that allowed me to trust them a little bit too, you know. Number 27, keep confidential things confidential. You know, we work in, oftentimes in a church school, and so we know the parents pretty well, and we know their siblings pretty well, and we got our friends, and everybody knows everybody else, and so don't be blabbing about your students to church people. In your youth group, you know, there might be something really cute or something ridiculous or something funny, something embarrassing that a student has done, just keep it to yourself. Tell another teacher if you have to. 28, treat the textbook as a tool, not a chain. You don't have to do every lesson. The textbook is a resource. And so use it. I, I appreciate textbooks, but don't think you have to go lesson by lesson by lesson and feel guilty if you don't get to the end. 29. Be consistent. It's tough. Day after day. But being inconsistent breeds insecurities. Don't permit one day what you punish the next day. If students have consistency demonstrated in the classroom, it will help them to feel secure, and if they feel secure, they'll be much better behaved. Number 30, value the grade one and two teacher, especially the first grade teacher. I was blessed with having the same co-teacher for 30 years, teaching grade one. And I think I often got the credit for students doing well, and as they graduated and went on to other things, 
but uh, a lot of it goes back to the teaching received in the early grades. So I commend those teachers of younger grades. Your work is important. 31. There's great value in participation and interaction. So we've got a pattern going here. Every 10 things or so, you stand up and chew the fat with a neighbor. So stand up and start chattering. Thank you very much. <clears throat> well, you know, teaching has its ups and downs, so uh, we're just giving an object lesson here. There are many things in the classroom that are totally unpremeditated, as you can well imagine in my classroom, such as a dumb comment like that. But anyhow, number 32. The quality of teaching varies in both public and private schools. So we may be negative on the public system. There would have been a number of teachers that I would just love to have my children be taught by at Queen Elizabeth Public School. Um, but I've also noticed that many in private schools are superior. And even though we don't have the same education, I'm not sure that that bachelor's degree means a whole lot in teaching children. Uh, it can give a background of knowledge, but there are more important things than a reservoir of, of knowledge. Relationship is more important, and relationship with God is more important. You see, we teach not just by our words, but also by our example. 33, add a touch of interest by using student names in questions. What I mean by this is you can add a touch of interest and humor in classes like mathematics, especially say grades three to seven or so. Um, Michael eats seven jelly beans and Sue eats 11 jelly beans and Trevor eats 169 jelly beans. And, you know, they're looking at Trevor and <laughs> smirking and things. And, but it should not be an embarrassing, you know, if Trevor is heavy, you don't choose him for the 169. 34. Teachers who burn the candle at both ends aren't as bright as they think they are. Picked up that expression some years ago. Teachers who burn the candle at both ends aren't as bright as they think they are. So get home for supper. Having said that, um, I, I think over the years there's been a bit of a, a lessening in the willingness of teachers to handle more students. I hear of teachers that won't teach more than 12 students or 15 students or something like that. Um, 
I think if a teacher gains some experience and, and gains some methods of efficiency, um, he or she should be able to handle more students. Of course, when there's multi-grades, it, it complicates things, but I, one day I was cleaning out a cupboard, which happens not often, but I was cleaning out this cupboard at school, and I came upon a train. And there were five cars, one for grade six, one for seven, eight, nine, and ten. And on each car was the names of the students in the grade. And I counted them up. I hadn't remembered this from some years before. And the total came to 36 in five grades. And that was a pretty good year. Three of my children, four children, three of the children were in the, in the class. And I would think they would say it's, it was a, a normal year, a good year. I've also only taught a class of six in all the grades, I mean all the grades it could be, in the sixth. Uh, I think the teaching of the 36 was easier than the teaching of one per grade for my, from my point of view. 35, society can change fast. And uh, when I started in the public system, we had Bible reading and prayer every morning. This is in the early 70s, mid 70s. 35 minutes of uh, Bible instruction. This is in the public system. Now, <clears throat> a few weeks ago, a substitute teacher in New Jersey was fired. Uh, a bunch of students were lining up and they said to one of the students, so the last shall be first and the first last. That was to a boy who was last in line. And the student said, where did that come from? He said, well, it's from a Bible. Go home and look it up. The boy said he didn't have a Bible. The teacher gave the boy his pocket New Testament. Big uproar. The teacher got turfed. Big change in society. 36. Be imaginative. Make up stories to illustrate words. Canadian history, there's the expulsion of the Acadians. So make up a story and perhaps about a student that got expelled. Uh, not one that really did get expelled, but your model student, you know, sort of thing. 37. Teaching gives me great satisfaction. Partly in the process, partly in the results. Um, some of my students have become teachers. They decided, well, sort of curious as to how many of my students have become teachers. So I went through the last 32 years, looked at all those who uh, were in my class, who are not in my class now, or, and not those that are, have just been out of school for a couple years, you know, 18 and over, whatever. And I found out that I, there was a 180 students, and I counted how many became teachers, and the total came to 41. So you divide that, it's 1 to 5, or 1, one to 4.4, or something like that. So I, uh, maybe it's just that these students, uh, teachers, uh, these students that become teachers aren't, don't have their eyes open or uh, um, anyway, perhaps it's uh, something to do with my enjoyment of teaching. Anyway, teaching gives me great satisfaction. 
38. Keep reading. <clears throat> Find tidbits of fascinating information here and there. My favorite teacher said, Every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. So for a devotional, at school I like to have something old, the Bible, and I always like to have something new that they've never heard before. Don't always accomplish it. Maybe it's just simply said in a fresh way sometimes. Like the 102-year-old woman who stopped smoking because smoking shortens life expectancy. <laughs> that happened on her birthday, I think earlier this year. Keep reading. Little bits of information find their way into your lessons either as a natural flow or as a, maybe it's a, in the form of a quick bunny trail. I think somebody here told me a teacher's library should be worth as much as his car. Um, my library is worth more than my car. Then again, you should see my car. So. <laughs> and finally, <clears throat> not finally, got two more. The experience of joy in seeing my former students exceed my abilities and expertise. And that's not hard to do in many things such as carpentry and plumbing and sewing and cooking, but also in teaching. I have great joy in seeing former students exceed my abilities. So some names that you do know, Anna Zare, Esther Bean, Laverne and Julianne Good, and also a bunch of others that you probably don't know. I like to hear how well they are doing, or see how well they are doing. And number 40. God's grace is sufficient for 40 years and beyond. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. As thy day, so shall thy strength be. God is my refuge and strength. The eternal God is my refuge. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. And a favorite of mine, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. God's grace keeps pace with whatever you face. So in the coming year, or coming years, as the case may be, may you allow God's grace to keep pace with whatever you face. God bless you. I think uh, Brother Matthew has some comments or announcements. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.